Welcome to the Modern Contemplative Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. I forgot to mention this yesterday, but uh, I record these out on the trails. Another little 20-acre park near my house. I know you can hear the sounds. I just try to let people know kind of where I'm at and, you know, so they're not wondering. <laughs> I hear some lively birds this morning and the sun is kind of up, kind of fading up. The light is fading into the trees and here comes a jogger. Morning. Um, anyway, you may not have tuned in before at all, so I, I always try to mention that. Um, and also, I will mention we're in the at the end. We're in the last podcast of a three-part series on the essentialness of suffering. So there's two before this. We've talked about uh, how suffering points us to things, points us inside ourselves to things that we need to see, things we need to work on. That suffering is a tool that can deliver us from our suffering. And then uh, the last podcast I talked about, you know, the root of why we suffer or how, and how it, it points to, to our dysfunction of love, that suffering points to our dysfunction of love. But I want to talk today about kind of the last big block to the energy flow of love and experiencing that energy flow, which we can call God or ultimate reality. God is this energy force of love, which is trying to draw us back to healing, trying to recover and heal and bring us back to wholeness. I've talked about that in terms of reconnecting to all of our parts. The uh, I did an eight-part series on the centers of being and knowing and what those were, and those are kind of all of our parts. Mind, heart, body, soul, spirit. Um... And then how, you know, reconnecting to this God energy kind of helps illuminate those parts. How the soul is a buffer to help separate and kind of reconnect in a different way, all those parts. Um, and so that's a part of it. The parts are a part. <laughs> um, today I want to talk about, well, I was saying like the, there's an energy flow in us, between us and God, between us and our parts. And so, um, and there are blocks, blockages to that energy flow. And that energy flow is love. It's a, it's a, I talked about this in the Spirit Center podcast in particular, how the spirit part of us, the, the spirit energy in the world, it's all about connection and connectivity. And that's, we're, we're meant to live connected and so I would say the positive energy of the universe, which is God, is an energy that um, that uh, formed life, that created life, but also sustains life. It's an energy that also connects us. That's the positive energy. And then there's a negative energy. And of course, the negative energy is the opposite. It's the opposing energy of disconnection. So when we talk about all the dysfunction of the world. I'm talking about that negative energy. It's an energy that blocks us from connecting 
to God, from reconnecting to ourselves in every way as well, and connecting to others, connecting to the universe. Like The energy of God connects us to all things. That's the goal. And so the dysfunction comes from disconnection. And I talked about in self, the self-autonomy podcasts how self-autonomy or individualism is this lens, but it's a disconnecting lens. It's a way we see ourselves as individuals as separate to an extreme, you know, and, and we're all in different places in our connectivity to people, you know. We all are in different places with our health and unhealth and dysfunction and that, those things, but um, negative energy is an energy that disconnects, that blocks us from experiencing our connectivity to people and to God. And so I talked about you know, you could talk about this in so many ways, but I'm talking about this in particular through suffering. And I talked about how we approach love fearfully and, and how, um, you know, the, our woundedness in attempting to love and attempting to find this connection belonging, our woundedness creates a block. But there's one more big thing that blocks us from this flow, this connecting energy. And that is ego. Um, and that's what you, you know, you can call this individualism, you can call it self-autonomy. But it's our separateness. It's our, it's our attempt to establish ourselves in our separateness. Um, I like to call it egocentricity. Just because I like the word centricity. <laughs> I like to say it. It just rolls off my tongue. Egocentricity. Our ego. And so... I mean, if you think about it, uh, I know the word ego gets thrown around and, you know, people are being egotistical. It means they're being self-centered, right? It's another good word to describe all this. But, like, there are so many parts of our egocentricity that we embrace and love and cultivate and find helpful and good. But I want to tell you, like, it, first, we talked about... In self-autonomy, I talked about how we see the world through lenses, and those lenses can those lenses create our reality. I talked about time in particular, which I thought was very fun and enlightening, but how we can create our perception of time. Well, we also create our perception of ourself, and we create we can create a perception of ourself as an individual so strongly that it disconnects us from people from everything it creates this disconnection create it creates a blockage to being connected from this energy this god energy this is also, that's also in us like this energy is spirit energy we have a spirit god has a spirit everybody has a spirit everything has this energy trees squirrels birds like it's it's the energy of life and it is the energy of connection but the ego self says, or the ego self is an identity, it's a, it's a lens. And I would say it's a coping mechanism that establishes us in this idea of separateness. We are individuals, we are separate. We're going through the world, through life, making our own way. The ego self is trying to establish itself work for its own benefit to such an extreme that it disconnects us to the understanding that we truly are not separated. 
And that's why discovering and exploring the parts of ourselves is important because like the our physical self is separate. I mean, that's obvious. In the physical world, our physical selves are separate. Now, we can obviously interact physically with things and people. You know, we can find connection physically. We can separate physically. We can come together physically. You know, there's a lot of good metaphors and a lot of good um, examples, right? Marriage is a, a connecting relationship. Friendships are connecting relationships, right? Um, I'm a very huggy person. You may not like huggy people. You may be, like, not a very tactile person. But, like, that's just a way that we can connect physically. But we can also very easily see that physically we are the most disconnected. Like, our physical part. It's the most disconnected. It's the most separate. And so, um, like, I talked about this in the body center of being. We can ground ourselves in an identity so attached to our physical self that that's all we see, right? All we, all we see is the physical world, physical things. And so we can really, when we embrace that one part of ourselves too strongly, too distinctly, we can, um, we can get the idea that we are separate, right? And I talked about the counterbalance to that is the spirit self. Like when you understand... And you incorporate the spirit part of yourself, that part grounds us in this reality of connectivity, of a greater connectivity. Like, as much as we may be able to reach out and connect physically with people, and we can, it is the most, but it's the most limited, but the spirit self is the most connected. Like, the spirit self is completely connected. It allows us to flow and connect with people so richly and so um, fluidly, I guess, you know. It is ultimate connection, really. And so the more in tune we are with our spirit self, the more we realize how connected we are to all things. And that spirit energy is, is also that God energy. It's just, it's that part of ourselves that isn't really even grounded to the body, and it's the part of ourselves that understands like the body is not our truest self, not even our permanent self. It's just more like a vehicle and a vessel. So, But the ego self is really grounded and attached to that physical identity, that separateness, the idea of separateness. But it's a lens, it's a perspective. It's a way of seeing ourselves that isn't complete reality, perhaps. But I wouldn't say it's completely false our physical self is separate. But when we understand that our physical self is the least permanent and least... The, it's the least healthy way to ground ourselves. When we understand that, then we can begin to step into this reality of our deepest connection, which is our spirit self. But we have to understand the ego self and egocentricity is grounded in this physical grounded in this idea that, you know, my needs come first, my wants, my desires, my preferences, my personal taste, you know, that all comes first. I am a separate person, a separate individual. And so egocentricity can block the flow of this connection by understanding our individualism too strongly.
emphasizing it too strongly. The ego self, and uh, I think maybe it's easiest to, to talk about it this way. Like, the ego self is grounded in fear. Like, the, the main motivation, I believe, behind all of this stuff is fear. Like, the ego self is alone. It's, it's about survival, and it's about establishing itself. But it's a fear-based identity. That's hard to see because fear expresses itself in so many ways in ways that don't always seem negative. Um, fear expresses itself mildly through apathy, maybe, or disinterest. It can express itself strongly through anger and depression. I like to say I think the, the, the two strongest expressions of fear are suicide and homicide. Like Those are the most violent, dynamic expressions of fear. Like if you had if if you if there was a spectrum of fear or maybe our response to fear on one end would be homicide on the other end would be suicide when we act out of fear, the extremes are we may kill someone or we may kill ourselves out of fear, our response to fear, how we deal with fear like Depression, when you get so depressed, and I've been depressed to the point of considering suicide. Like when you struggle so deeply with this overwhelming emotion, you know, you're, you're reacting to fear, but you, it may be so overwhelming that you eventually you begin to think, ah, there's no way out of this except to get out of here. And I've also experienced anger. I've struggled with anger. My dad was very angry and he was abusive and I had to wrestle with my own form of that. Whether it was conditioning from, a, from my childhood or the fact that I am my father's son and I have some traits, you know, I've had to wrestle with anger. And I've felt an uncontrollable anger in me. And it's it's scary. Like, I felt out of control. I've felt out of control due to anger before. Like I, you know, I just, I've felt rage. Some people call that seeing red. Uh, my friend the other day told me he actually saw red. He was so angry one time. One time he said, and one time in his life he saw red. <laughs> that was kind of fascinating, but I've never seen red, but I've felt the uncontrollable nature of fear, of, I'm sorry, of anger. But it all comes back to fear. We're reacting out of fear, and fear is is saying you need to do something, you need to protect yourself, or you need to resolve this. It's a fearfulness, and that fearfulness translates into our ego self, and our ego self translates into this negative energy that blocks us from reconnecting to the energy of God, which connects us to other people, which connects us to everything. I mean, you could rightly say the desire to insulate, to isolate, to kind of seek your own good above others is fear-based. You know, all uh, we could say racism and xenophobia and, you know, this, this battle, this war that we see all over, all over the world between nations, between groups, between religions, between political parties, between family members... It's all 
based on fear. It's all based on the idea that um, we need to protect ourselves from someone else. Like, how do we get out of that? We have to get to a place where fear is not the, mo the dominant motivation. Fear at every level. Fear speaks to us so many different things. Fear says, you know, I'm... Uh, the world is dangerous, and, and I talked about my breakdown, I talked about my struggles, and I, at a young age, I had a volatile father, an angry father, and so at a young age, I developed this psyche, this view of the world that was fearful, and it led to a lot of unhealth and dysfunction. It led me to withdraw into myself. It led me to be very distrustful of the world, and I called it... Uh, hypersensitive anxiety like I was always looking over my shoulder well that's not healthy fear it was fear fear caused me to develop this personality this way of being in the world that was a protective mode the ego self is is that it's that desire to protect to seek our own good above others it's all based on fear it takes so many forms you know it's 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 like the ghost in the machine. It's like this invisible energy behind a lot of things that looks like a lot of different things. But it all traces back to fear. The ego self, the primary motivation of the ego self is fear. I've got to protect. I've got to get my own. I've got to solidify my position. I've got to solidify my power. I've got to make sure that no one can take advantage of me. I've got to make sure that I've got the upper hand. And what it translates to... I mean, there's, there's the external expression, but the internal, I think, is the deepest, um, is the deepest aspect, and that's where we do our work. Like, it translates into uh, an obsessive kind of impulse and energy in in the egocentric person, where there, there, all their thoughts are just focused on their goals, or you know their agendas and they're moving through the world and when you view the world that way then everybody is either an ally or an enemy who's going to help me achieve my goals and who's opposing me like who's on my side you know and who's against me i talked about that i did a um a spontaneous side post called are you listening and i talked about how contemplation talks about this ego self in terms of dualism i think that's a very good way like it divides the field always who's my enemy who's my friend who's my ally who's for me and who's against me and that's a lens like when you approach the world with that lens you're going to see people through that lens you're going to see you've oriented yourself based on your your supremacy your success, your agenda, and then everybody lines up on according to that way of seeing the world. You know, who likes me? Who is helping me? Who is um, with me? And then who is not helping me? And like you know, we can easily see if someone is not pushing for our agenda, if they're not 
cheerleading for us or something. There may be a million reasons why they're not doing that. But the egocentric self always labels that as an opposing force. Like, you're not for me, you're against me. Well, that person may not be against you. They may just be about their own agenda. You know? So conflict arises because we can only see the world as who is for us and who is against us. And as I said, contemplation calls that dualistic thinking or dualistic consciousness. Like when you've oriented your way of seeing the world as who is for me and who is against me, that's what you'll see. You'll see people who are for you based on how they treat you, how they align with your values, your agendas. And you'll see people who are against you because of how they treat you and how they align with your values and agenda. But the reality is you're carrying this set of, of expectations and ideas about the world, about yourself in the world, and nobody else can see that. Like we can see things superficially in the external, right? But we cannot see what's in the heart of people, what's in the mind of people. I can't, when I walk by a person, I don't know what their agenda is and what they're thinking and what they're trying to accomplish and what they're doing. Like, if I'm stuck in, you know, pursuing my path, egocentricity, pursuing my good, and someone else is in, you know, stuck pursuing their good, we're just, um, they're not necessarily against me just because they're pursuing their own good, you know? Like, the reality is there's probably a billion other reasons someone may not be doing what you want or like. None of them which have to do with the fact that they're against you. Like we create enemies by taking the stance in the world, by through dualistic thinking. You, you're either for me or against me. There's no other option. In fact, there are billions of other options. But dualism, in its extremes, that's all it can really see. That's how it sees the world. It actually says you have to be for me or you have to be against me. There's only two options here. If you're a Republican, then then every non-Republican is against you and you have to fight against them because they're evil. If you're a... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear the... Uh, I can't, I've come down by a little stream and... I like the sound of water. It's very calming. So like the work, a big part of the work when it comes to suffering is starting to identify our ego triggers, our ego filters, the ego minefield that we've established our identity in and, beginning, and begin to disarm those triggers, disarm those minds. Understand how dualistic thinking, either or thinking, is actually the, the problem itself. How we've grounded ourselves in this egocentric identity. It is, it creates, it creates conflict. It creates a way of seeing the world that is conflict-based. And it blocks the flow of this con connectivity that we could have with people. You know, and we all live in between. Like we, we lean into our egocentricity sometimes, and sometimes we lean into what contemplation would call non-dual thinking. We lean into this space where we 
can understand and have compassion for people and we can give people grace and the benefit of the doubt. They kind of bounce back and forth and some people lean harder towards egocentricity and some people lean harder towards connectivity, towards understanding that we're all in this together. And we're all we're all just trying to survive. We're trying to get through. We're trying to make ends meet and pay the bills and feed our family, you know. And it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game where I have to take from someone else. Or someone else has to lose for me to win. Like that's, that's dualism right there. Someone else has to lose for me to win. Someone else has to have less so I can have more. Um, it's this idea that there's a limited supply. It's it's the mentality of scarcity, the mentality of lack. You know, I'm using my cobweb stick to to dig in the sand. <laughs> um, when I walk on the trails, I I've been like walking through constant just tons of spider webs and spiders just you know perching on me. <laughs> so I picked up. I've been walking with a stick, kind of holding it out in front of me to combat the spider webs but there's a good example like maybe it's not a great one but like spiders the spiders on the trails did not intentionally set their webs up knowing i would walk through in order to annoy me right like the ego self can get so annoyed with obstacles and things in their way and they begin to they really begin or this this mentality really begins to say you did that you you purposely are you purposely blocking you're purposely doing this against me the whole world like the ego egocentric self sees the whole world as against it eventually like if you you travel down that path to its extreme it's like the cosmos traffic patterns the weather trees insects it's like all it's all got together and planned this diabolical scheme to thwart the ego self's path and desires like everything and we can like scream at the universe and just like get so angry at the universe like everything is against us well that's not true at all absolutely like but the ego self has found has grounded itself in this such a strong sense that it has to get its way that everything that blocks its way is against it like it warps reality because it bends reality around this idea that everything should do what I want. And that's the heart of the ego, ego self. Everything should do what I want. What I want is the modus operandus of the world, of my life. Like everything, I want everything to go the way I want. And if when we set ourselves up in that mode, we're setting ourselves up with expectations that are bound to be thwarted and disappointed. And then we're bound to be frustrated a lot. And so the contemplative uh, perspective seeks to ground us in a way that says, well, there's very little in my control. And there's very little that... It, it seeks to remove us from this willful way of walking through the world. Where my will is supreme and my will must happen. Or at least I'm attempting to enact my will on the world and through the world for myself. What we don't understand is how much suffering comes from moving through the world that way. 
how much suffering, how much disappointment, how much frustration comes from that. Because it, the purpose of my life isn't to get what I want. Isn't to establish my own kingdom, my own will, my own religion, my own party, my own fill-in-the-blank. You know, it's not a—it's not a competition. I have to tell—I say that probably twenty times a day to my kids. Everything's a competition, <laughs> like the, and I think that's—that's that's a good point. Like this—this this egocentric. Um, dualistic thinking just kind of comes natural to us. It's the air we breathe. And my kids, like, we'll sit down at dinner and one of my kids will be halfway through dinner before the other one starts and that one kid will be like, all right, I'm going to finish first. And, and I'm like, hey, it's not a competition. You know, we're going to the car. I'm going to get to the car first. It's not a competition. Like, slow down. Eat your food slowly. When you make it a competition, bad things happen. You eat too fast, you get indigestion. <laughs> you run to the car, you trip and fall on your face. <laughs> like trying to make everything a competition creates a hectic, frenetic mentality towards the world and a crazy, busy, you know, fast-paced world. Like our ability to slow down is connected to our ability to see that it's not a competition. We're not competing with everybody and we, we're not in conflict with everybody and nobody's taking anything away from us. Nobody's in our way. Nobody is out to get us. We create enemies in the world because we see the world in a way that says you have to be for me or against me. And the, the connecting energy of God says... No, everything is for you, but it's the royal you, not the individual you. Everything is for you and you and you and you. Everything is for us together. Can we ground ourselves in the world in a way that says everything is for us together? That's the only way the world works. Like this idea of God and how God has ordered the world. And I know there can be a lot of religious tones to that, like a, a lot of oppressive kind of ideas. But like the good and healthy idea is that God has made the world a certain way. And when we operate in that way, we are healthy. And that way is connectivity, is an us mentality, not a me mentality. Like God made the world to work for everyone, not for some and, and then against others. God is not a divisive God and damn, I know I know like instantly I know there's a million a million reactions, there's a million pushbacks against that idea. And I know that, I get it. But I'm telling you, the true energy of the of God is not a divisive energy. It's not a separating energy. It's not an egocentric energy. It's not a us versus them energy. God made the world to work for everyone, when everyone works together. For everyone, to benefit everyone. Not to benefit some and leave others behind. <sighs> we have a lot of work in religion and politics and society and culture 
to get to that place where we understand like the world will not work when I'm trying to make it work for me and against you. When I understand the world in that way, when I try to enact reality, when I try to move through reality in that way, I'm moving against reality because reality is a God who created the world to work for everyone. And so that brings up a lot of a lot of corollary discussions like what what about equality? What about access to resources and like if God is for everybody, why are some people poor and some people rich? Why are some people you know, why are some people living in such poverty and such lack and others aren't? <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because of egocentricity, because we have believed that the world is about competition and we have to get ours and, and take it from other people. And so we have. And so people have become filthy rich and other people extremely poor. Like the, the poverty gap, you know, the, all, a lot of the oppression in the world isn't because God set the world up this way. Because we set the world up this way. There's a, uh, there's a great line. There's a, a great movie seven, from the 1970s, I think. It's called The Mission. It's got Liam Neeson and Robert De Niro. Jeffrey Irons are the three. I mean, they're young kids in this. this it's a great movie. But So in The Mission, um, it's about the European monarchies kind of coming into South America, I believe. I think it takes place in South America. And these these Catholic um, monks are trying to establish a mission in this really primitive, you know, outlying area. And then, of course, all these, these capitalist uh, entrepreneurs are coming in and trying to establish, you know, for their countries. They're trying to establish trade, and, and they're also practicing the slave trade. And there's, a, I think there's a conflict between like the Spanish and maybe the European or British sides, and one is pro-slavery, one isn't. So there's like areas that are where you're not supposed to be going into to get slaves. And but in this, in the play of this um, historical drama, you have this contention. The the missionaries are trying to protect the indigenous people, and the Entrepreneurs are trying to take advantage of them, basically. But so the mission actually ends up siding with the indigenous people, trying to take a stand. They actually militarize, and they end up losing. And at the end of it, this big arch- archbishop has come in to try. He's coming to try and arbitrate between these two, the mission and the the slave traders. But um, so it all goes south, basically, at the end. And there's this big statement at the end. The archbishop is talking with these. Um, entrepreneurs who are gov- government-sanctioned businessmen. And, you know, it all went south. People died. All the main characters died. Spoiler alert. And the businessmen say, ah, thus is the world. And the archbishop says, no, thus have we made the world. You know, we can look at the world and say, thus is the world. It's a competition. you got to get yours. you got to, you know... Go broke, you gotta look out for number one, you know, you gotta step on people to climb the ladder, you know, someone has to lose for you to win, and thus is the world. But no, contemplation says, thus have we made the world. The reality you live in is the reality you have created through how you view the world, through what you believe about the world, and what you believe about how the world works. 
but it's not true reality. And we make God in that same image, right? I mean, this is the dysfunction of religion. We've made God egocentric. We've made God about favoring one group above another, about hating some and loving others. We've created a God in our image, this capitalist um, zero-sum game, dualistic thinking God. It's not God. And and I'll be honest, it, it's surprising to me. I was wonderfully surprised to come to know God truly and to see that God is not against people. God doesn't hate people. God is not trying to bring success to some and push others down. You know, God is not against anyone. He's for everyone. But it's a much harder image to balance the both and way of thinking it's a much harder it's a much harder philosophy to work out because what does it say about equality and inequality injustice oppression well one of the things it says is that equality doesn't mean everybody should have the same everything like God has a specific path for you that looks different than anybody else. And that's beautiful. But it also means that some people are going to have things you don't. But like you should have the thing that you're supposed to have, that God has created you for. Like that's what you're meant for. Like we can all have what we're supposed to have, but it doesn't have to look the same. And, we, and it also, when we begin to step out of this egocentric self, it also says like I can work for the success of others. And it doesn't have to affect my success. Oh, it's a finch. Oh, he was right there. That's so cool. Hey, buddy. Such a beautiful song. Hear it? Hope you don't mind me stopping to enjoy a songbird. <laughs> He's so cool. He's right there. He was so loud. Like right, right. He was like a couple feet from me. But um, I hope that's making sense. I, I know it's really hard. It's hard to see that the way that we've formed our view of the world and ourselves is a way, and it has been formed. It's given to us by culture. Like it's. It seems natural. It seems just the way things are. Thus is the world. But it's not. It's thus have we made the world. And look, the only way that we can really begin to see a different way is to connect to a different way of seeing, which is God. Like our culture, you know, our family, our country, our nation, human culture, it all really, for the most part, I think, grounds us in this dualistic thinking. It reinforces it. It seems to say this is the game and you have to play the game. If you don't like it, you're a loser. And then you just got to go and you can't have your part of the pie. You know, you just want to cry in the dirt, take your ball and go home. Then you don't get to, you know, this is the only game in town. Egocentricity, fighting and trying to get your way and, and get your piece of the success pie and 
take it from others and this is it this is the this is the game you can cry about it or you can just accept it well contemplation says this is not the game this is the game that we've created but it's not true there is a reality that says everyone has a place everyone like it only works if it works for all of us it doesn't work if you're okay and someone else isn't like we're all in this together like we do suffer the world suffers when any one person or part suffers the butterfly effect <laughs> that's exactly what the butterfly effect is about is you cannot harm anything or anyone without harming yourself or connected but what blocks that connection is not seeing that we're connected the egocentric egocentric self and that causes a lot of suffering maybe all the suffering in the world conflict competition dualism ego the ego self you know why are we frustrated why are we fearful because we think that people are against us and the world is against us and we have to fight we have to fight our way through we have to fight for our own it creates dysfunction. I feel like I've not done a great job explaining all of this. And I know there's a lot more in this to, to talk about, to explore. But I hope you can begin to see the detriment of the ego, of establishing ourselves extremely in this idea of separateness and of seeking our own good at the cost of others. Like, I know deep down, I, I really believe, we know in our hearts deep down that this is not good. Going through the world, just seeking my own good and at the harm of others, we know that's not good. We see it. We see the, the damage it's doing to our world, to the earth. You know, extreme industrialism and capitalism is harming the world. And we may be insulated from it as first world people, but like... Other countries are suffering because we're taking too much. Because we are winning and other people are losing. Because we think the world works that way and we're okay with it. You know. It doesn't mean, and, and that's what, it's not material equality. It's not equal stuff, right? It's okay if other people have more than me. But it's not okay if... Other people are starving to death, and I'm eating steak every night for dinner. You know, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not okay. Everybody has a space to thrive, but thriving isn't just a materialistic game either. Well, like I said, there's a lot to explore in this, and it's more, it's it's a deep concept. But I hope you be can begin to see the harm that e the ego self, the egocentricity, can bring. This idea of dualistic thinking. This idea that. There's, it's, the world is a zero-sum game. And for me to succeed, other people have to lose. Like, that is not the God energy of the world. That's not how God has grounded and founded the world. It's how we have. Thus is the world, or thus have we made the world. What do you think? What do you think? your choice you know you can go through the world you can move through the world however you want but if you want to know the root of your suffering what's causing conflict and 
discouragement, frustration, disappointment? What's, what's blocking the connectivity of love in your life? It's egocentricity. It's this idea that me first, I got to get my own. And maybe I'll help people, you know, from the excess and the overflow of my success. You know, I'll amass billions and billions of dollars, which creates millions of poor people. But I'll give some, a little bit to a few people here and there. Like, that's not benevolence. That's not good. Um, anyway, you know, you've got to got to come to terms with these things on your own. But we'll talk a lot more about egocentricity. I think it's one of the central dysfunctions. It's one of the central problems with our identity and what we have to work out and what we have to step away from. That's why surrender is the counterbalance to self-autonomy. But i got to wrap this up. (laughs) And I hope I've challenged you some. I hope this has given you some things to think about. I hope it's made some sense to you, even if you don't agree. Like You don't have to agree. But just think about it. Begin to observe yourself when you get frustrated, when you struggle, when you feel depressed. Is it the fear of the ego self? That's the root of it. You know, begin to pay attention to your frustrations, to your suffering. Listen to what it has to teach you. Hmm. I appreciate you guys listening. Um, thanks for joining in and, and just engaging and like you don't have to agree it's just some things to think about you know we're on a journey together and we are together this is a together deal it's not dualistic so let's walk it together um, thanks for tuning in I appreciate you guys. I uh, love you guys. I hope that you can find your way out of suffering to a greater space where love can thrive. When you can see that God is that energy of love that connects us together. So be well, be loved. See you guys.